I grow up, I want to be an engineer. When I grow up, I want to be an author. When I grow up, I want to be a fine art thief. When I grow up, I want to be a When I grow up, I want to be a player. When I grow up, I want to be a player. When I grow up, I want to be a player. When I grow up, I want to be a player. When I grow up, I want to be a player. When I grow up, I want to be a Welcome to My Dilettante Life, where we hear from people who have cool or unusual jobs about their professional lives. I'm podcast host and resident dilettante, Hannah Binder. Good. It's it's just great to connect with you. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so welcome to My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing my cousin, about his work as a rabbi. So if you could just briefly introduce yourself and then just give kind of a general overview of your background and how you got into working in your field. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm Rabbi Moshe Smolkin, and uh, I'm a, a rabbi in the United States in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm at Congregation Adith Israel. And um, excited uh, to to be here on your show. And um, I come from, um, in many ways, Texas and New Mexico. That's where I grew up. Um, and yeah, it was great. It, and we have that New Mexico connection, which is awesome. Um, and then um, I was in Boston for about a decade. I, I actually, uh, my undergraduate uh, is in, I got a bachelor's in mathematics and my master's is in secondary math ed. So I was in, in Boston. I was, Boston. I was a math teacher for, for five years, high school math. So I did, I did that. And, um, and then I ended up going to Los Angeles for rabbinical school um, L.A. for two years, Jerusalem for one, and then back to L.A. for two more years. And then um, and that's where uh, I connected with with Talia. So that's my Alice, of course, um, who, who you're related to. And um, and then uh, we ended up uh, moving to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, living there for a decade uh, before coming up to Cincinnati and encountering a pandemic. Um, so, but now we're, things are shifting back, which is great. That's a fantastic, uh, overview. And also, so Moshe, I had no idea that you had a previous career prior to your, um, your time as a rabbi. So that's awesome. So, okay. So then, um, considering that this was sort of a, um, a second career step for you, what kind of brought about the idea of becoming a rabbi? What got you into the field? Yeah, so in many ways, it stems to, well, I guess from when I was a little kid, and I would ask these these big questions, um, especially I would talk with my dad late at night when he was trying to go to sleep, uh, or when he would want me to go to sleep. And, and that's, that's definitely the time that the big questions would come out. And, um, and then, you know, when we were in New Mexico, um, you know, I'd be asking him these questions at a certain point, you know, it, it changed from, uh, them tucking me in to me tucking them in. Um, and we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I, I noticed on his bookshelf um, he had books written by a Martin Buber, um, and but it was um, in, in English generally pronounced Martin Buber. Um, and so, you know, but coming from New Mexico, you know, Martin, you know, hey, it's Martin Buber. Who is Martin? You know, so um, 
So, you know, I heard he, he would, my father would share with me about I and thou and, you know, that, that wonderful book kind of talking about seeing, seeing people as people, um, and, and not God forbid as, as objects and, you know, and kind of, so I had this, I, I, I had learned a little bit about Jewish philosophy from my father. Um, my mother, um, was more interested in the ritual than my father as a kid, I just wanted to watch Saturday morning cartoons. That was my stance on, in terms of services. And, um, you know, I didn't understand why, why services need to be Saturday mornings when they're the cartoons. And they, that was not a good timing for me. Um, but it, it was really, you know, I, I ended up having a bar mitzvah uh, in New Mexico, but I, I really was fairly disconnected. And it was actually, um, it was the last thing that my mother said that I would ever, she would ever make me do in terms of Judaism. So I was like, fine, that's good. We'll just do it. But I, I, I continued to have these questions. And I actually, um, when I was in New Mexico, uh, got involved with the Zen Center there um and 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 buddhism and i was going to the zen center and i was reading books on buddhism and i i found i really enjoyed it i mean um Thich Nhat and uh had written a book uh, i think it was all old path white clouds or you know it was like i was reading these different different books um and i really enjoyed it and so then i just started studying about different religions um and and I found their mystical traditions to be really similar uh, in many ways. And so kind of last but not least, I mean, I had, had looked at the Upanishads and the Tao Te Ching and, you know, I had, I had going through all of these different books. And I had, um, I, you know, I took a class on Islam and uh, had gone to like a Christian Bible study. And, and kind of last but not least, you know, I, I looked at Judaism and I actually um, ended up in in a particular part of Judaism, um, um, where I got very involved, it was it was a type of orthodoxy, um, and getting very involved for for a number of years. And actually, I had had taken a leave of absence from college to go to a to a, a more traditional uh, yeshiva, a Jewish place of learning, and um, and you know. At that time, um, just like the clothing was all black and white in that in that particular group, so the thinking was kind of black and white as well. And and you know, and I saw things that I didn't I didn't buy into all of it. And it was very much kind of a black and white, all or nothing type of thing um, within that particular group. And and at a certain point, I, I left. Um, and that's when I left. And I you know I f finished up, got my bachelor's, and became a math teacher. But I missed. I missed the practice of Judaism. Um, and so I was missing it, but I, and I had, had maybe thought about or had wanted to be a rabbi, but, but I just, you know, it was, I, everything was so black and white within that group. And, and at a certain point I kind of, you know, I had heard these stories when I was a kid about Hillel and Shammai and, and Judaism's embrace of multiple viewpoints. And I, I, I kind of, that, that had been kicking around, you know, and I also, um, as a math teacher, ended up going to a school where I saw very different teachers, had di di different styles, different ways of teaching even mathematics, and, and it worked. And it's like, oh, it doesn't all, it doesn't all have to look exactly the same. It could be very valid ways of doing things, and it's not, not all the same. And, and so um, I ended up teaching, actually, in a pluralistic Jewish high school, 
for, for two years. And that was wonderful because I was teaching them math and I was learning a ton about Judaism. So that was a great experience for me um, in Waltham, Massachusetts. Uh, it was called the New Jewish High School, then later the Gann Academy. Um, and and that was that was just a wonderful experience. And that helped me to kind of figure things out. I also had um, a, a wonderful colleague and teacher in Rabbi Sarah Zachariah, who had also kind of grown up she had grown up also in a particular form of orthodoxy um, and, and had left it and then had come back. And, and you know, for me, uh, ultimately, it was like conservative Judaism was a wonderful fit because it it conserved, it kept those uh, traditions that I loved, the practice that I loved. But then the, the intellectual thinking was open. Um, and so that's how I kind of ended up finally figuring out like, no, this is the right path for me. And when I finally... I went and applied for rabbinical school. Uh, my colleagues were like, finally, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of inevitable, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, you know, definitely on the journey, I would not have guessed at, at many points on the journey that that this would be, you know, where, where things went. But, Yeah. In your yearbook, it doesn't say under your photo, like most likely to become a rabbi. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And and really interesting to hear about your different experiences of Judaism throughout your life. Um, I mean, I know there's like the the joke that people make of uh, you have two Jews. It means you have three opinions. And to me, very much like built into the fabric of my experience of Judaism as a religion is um, the idea of constantly questioning. I mean, we have an entire book that takes, what, seven years to read that's basically people debating things um, endlessly. So, so, so the Talmud. Um, I actually did that. I'm now on my second cycle. So I did. Um, I did it's called Daf Yomi. So Daf is a page front and back of Talmud. Uh, the Talmud. It's also funny for us to think of books written over huge spans of time. So the earlier parts of the Talmud are from like 200 BCE and the latest parts are like from 600 CE. So it's like, here's a book written over 600 years. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't have, you know, gotten this down a little quicker, but, and, and it's actually, uh, it may be actually the, the, the largest book in antiquity, so to speak. Um, and it takes, uh, if, so a doff, a page front and back, is, is about maybe six to eight English pages uh, to go through. Um, and if you read one of those a day, it takes about seven and a half years uh, to, to read it. And, and so, yeah, I did that cycle once and I'm, I'm doing it again. So, yeah, and kind of incredible things. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's filled, it literally is filled with different opinions. And I think I, that's one of the things that I love most about Judaism is that there's a kind of an embrace of complexity and of different opinions, different ways of understanding and seeing things. Um, and, and that, that often there's a validity to this way of seeing it and to that way of seeing it at a certain point in life, you have to maybe go with one way or the other, because we only get to, you know, we're, we're like living this life. We have to choose either to do things one way or another, but but the, the understanding that this way has has a truth to it and that way has a truth to it is, I think, really powerful and something that our world really needs and our society really needs, you know, uh, not not just one way and that's it. 
Yeah, this is bringing to mind what we were talking about before we started um, this episode, which is that you, your current congregation that you serve um, is varied um, in terms of its its makeup, particularly politically, you were mentioning. And um, yeah, so just thinking about, you know, everyone talks about how polarized we are and how difficult it is for people to have conversations across um, the political aisle or different ends of the spectrum. But you, I mean, as a rabbi, how do you see your responsibility in serving the congregation that you work with when there are people who don't hold the same opinions and may not be used to con- discussing those topics productively, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, I think I was sharing with you, like one of the things that I do is, you know, on, on my phone, I have um, I have Politico and CNN and Fox and I, and I read all of that um, because it's important to know where the congregants are coming from um, in, in order to understand them. And I think I think that um, it, if, so to speak, I just picked one news source, um, then I would get a perspe- per particular perspective um, and and I would have a harder time conversing and connecting with, with congregants and understanding where are they coming from? What are they seeing? And, and a lot of times I find that... Um, it really is a matter of like what what input is someone receiving about something um like what have they heard about the topic what have they been what have they been told and and as a rabbi interestingly i'm always like trying to bring additional complexity really to to kind of whatever issue and i think that's part of what judaism does um when it's when it's working well is show you know the the multiple ways of of seeing and understanding our world. Um, the, the rabbis in the Talmud say, Shivim Panim la Torah. They say there are 70 facets, or it's 70 meaning like it's it's like a, a certain number, meaning kind of like there are a multiplicity, or you know, you could say in English, there are there are an infinite number of ways, right? So the, the rabbis they say there are 70 ways of seeing Torah, meaning you can see it this way, and you can see it this way, and you can see it this way. And, and there is so much of, you know, that that those kind of um, descriptions, you know, even in our regular society, right? The kids have a book about, right? This very famous about the elephant and the one mouse, you know, grabs hold of the elephant and they, they these are the blind mice, right? So they can't see the elephant, but run one, one of the, one, uh, one mouse grabs the tail and it's like, this thing is a rope, you know, it's like a rope and the other grabs, you know, one of the tusks and it's like, no, no, it's not a rope. This thing is, this thing is hard. It's like a cliff, you know? Um, and, and the other touches the foot and it's, no, this thing is like a pillar, you know, it's, what are y'all talking about? And, and so kind of, um, with the congregation uh, and in general, you know, it's, it's part of, part of kind of understanding the bigger picture is, is kind of helping folks to kind of see, oh, there's another side, right? The same way of, sometimes I've heard it described as a mountain, right? This, the mountain is, this is the way the mountain is. Well, but if you look over here, it's this way, you know, it's, it may be rocky on one face, but on the other, it's, it's very verdant and there are these trees, it's very lush and, you know, and are we talking about the same mountain, you know? And, and so trying to get folks to, to see that and, and share with one another kind of what, what data they have or what they're seeing, um, I think what's what's more challenging is uh, when when folks don't know that there's different data or different input, right? That would lead someone to look at it differently. Um, 
And that's when it, it becomes a little more challenging. But but part of it is just, I think, in the in our regular practice, even on, on Shabbat, you know, when we read the Torah, we kind of think about different ways of understanding it. Uh, so there's we're working on flexibility of, of thought and seeing different different perspectives. Um, the the other thing that I really love, in, uh, kind of on that theme, is um, just that that in Judaism there were these there were these kind of great sages who lived around uh, around 50 BCE, um, Hillel and Shammai, right? And 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 the school of Hillel um, ultimately, right? There's there's they disagreed about different things, but again, you have to, as a society, you have to at a certain point decide how do we how do we live our lives. Um, and there's a wonderful, you know, kind of a story about how at a certain point God God went and and kind of there was a divine echo and said, both these and those are the words of the living God, meaning both of their perspectives are valid, and yet we're gonna go. By, by the school of Hillel. And they do that for, for two reasons. One is because um, the, the ways of Hillel are a little easier to actually live by, right? They're a little more feasible. Um, but but the, the other reason is because the school of Hillel, um, they would actually teach both perspectives. They wouldn't just teach their perspectives to their students. Um, they would tell their students, actually, you need to know Shammai's view and to be able to, to argue Shammai's view and your view. Right. So there was there's a, a large tradition in Judaism for um, keeping multiple perspectives alive and and embracing them. So, yeah. So that's what I try to do at the congregation as well. You're listening to My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. And today I'm talking with Rabbi Moshe Smolkin. It's interesting because I think often um, when people think about the role of of clergy um, regardless of the religion, there is this kind of like, maybe this is just my impression, but stodginess. And so I think um, often people, the first thought that comes to mind doesn't encompass, like, what what does it mean to be in the world today and working with congregants who are living in today's world? And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about things from, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, and yet how they have these real world modern implications or uh, ways that you can put them into practice. So that's really lovely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, there's, you know, in terms of kind of the the younger generations, right? So I work with Abad and Bar Mitzvah students and and there really is, it's interesting that in Judaism, it's another part that I really love about Judaism is this emphasis on asking questions. Um, and the Torah even says, like, when your child asks you, right? So it's, that comes up, and that's part of actually where we get the, the different children at the Passover Seder, you know, and they're, the questions that they have. And, you know, and so I always talk to the B'nai Mitzvah kids about, about starting with questions. What are all the questions you can ask about this? Um, and, you know, it's so funny, kind of on uh, what are our ideas about religion? It really depends where folks are coming from. Right. Because um, it, it, we had years ago, a, a group went and visited the synagogue and and they were speaking to us. And they, you know, this, this person, she had shared like I, that she she struggles with this younger generation and she doesn't want them 
you know, they're, they're asking these different questions about, about religion and she finds that disrespectful and, you know, they, they need to just accept kind of these, these certain fundamentals. And then later when they're adults, they can ask questions. And I said, that's so interesting because we, we have just a very different approach where we really try and get our youth to ask questions, right? <laughs> Please question it because it's, it's, you know, it's like how they, they learn and engage and, you know, question, challenge, you know, think about it deeply, take it seriously and care about it. And, and, you know, it's a different way of engaging. So, so can I ask you what, um, what has surprised you about working in the field, working as a rabbi? What did you not expect when you were thinking, you know, more than a decade ago, what this would look like? The number of emails. (laughs) Um, So, so really, you know, I think that is surprising to me uh, in some ways, the way of interacting. And and some of it is also kind of the number of just logistical details. And and now, you know, as a, as a senior rabbi here is the number of administrative things that go on. Um, it's, it, it's part of the, both the back end and ways of communication today that, that are different. And I think I had more of a feeling that, uh, just of, of conversations um, and of visits and things like that. Um, you know, we even have today, you know, people people have different modes of, of communicating. And, and for, for some folks, it's really, it's not about meeting and it's not even about picking up the phone. It's about texting, right? And they'll, they'll te- you know, they'll text, oh, my loved one passed away or, you know, I mean, it's, it's just so, I, I think, I think that that's, uh, that is a difference. And I think that, that maybe the culture has, has shifted in terms of ways of communicating, um, which on, on the one hand, it's not, you know, a, again, these different ways of seeing it, right? So there are, there are benefits and, and, and challenges with, with each approach. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely different and something that I didn't necessarily expect, uh, both in terms of the type of communication and then that, that other area of, um, just kind of administrative or, you know, these practical details and and the time that that takes. So. Well, and if I'm being honest, that's something I will say that, uh, seems to be a common theme with a lot of the folks that I interview for this podcast. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. to people who work in very different professions and yet, Kind of like that, those administrative tasks, paperwork and the the things that are so necessary to support, uh, I guess, the quote unquote important responsibilities that you have. Most people don't tend to think of those when they're sort of picturing what that career would look like. So that makes sense. On the other hand, it is like you're saying important, right? It's it's there, there are things that need to be kind of in place or need, you know, it, it's important work in terms of the structure so that you can, you can have that other work there when you need it. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that these, um, you know, I think often when people talk about paperwork or administrative tasks, it's sort of with this thought of, oh, that's keeping me from doing what I want to do. But like you said, it, they exist, they need to be done. And often they can make you more effective at what you do. Um, so even if they're not necessarily the thing that people look forward to the most, uh, they are still very <laughs> vital. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah, I ask, that's right. That's right. 
Has any of that mode of, of communication, how much has it changed with the pandemic? I know we're still sort of in in early days of seeing how those changes are going to last or, or look going forward, but how have you seen that change over the last couple of years? Yeah, so so one, um, here we are on Zoom and, and connecting that way. And, and that, you know, thank God in many ways that we had the technology that we did. Um, cause, and I've had many congregants express this thought that had it been a decade or two before, boy, would it have been so challenging to, to continue that sense of community and connection during that time. And it still was not easy at all to create that, but it was much better and more feasible, right? So that if a congregant was wanting to, to talk, so to speak, panim al panim, face to face, as we're doing now, we could during the pandemic. We could each get on our Zoom and and speak to one another. And um, there was that ability. Um, and and even in terms of services, right? We we had we had Zoom services and and Zoom mitzvahs, right? As opposed to a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, we had a Zoom mitzvah, right? So we had life cycle events, celebrations, um, you know naming ceremonies, right? All of these different things, right? We, we did all sorts of stuff on Zoom and we and we did uh, much more kind of uh, making videos and sending them out to kind of, you know, we, for a while we were kind of doing wake up with, wake up with Adith Israel, you know, to kind of get people going in the morning with, with a little bit of extra, you know, spiritual intention and, and joy, God willing. And, and so, um, there was a lot during that time, especially of doing whatever we could to keep spirits up. Um, that that it was a very difficult period for people, and and the more that we could uh, help people, you know, again that that spiritual and emotional place to kind of stay stay up and stay grounded and stay connected, like the better. Um, and and so yeah, so it was this technology that really helped us do that. Um, you know, we're in an interesting place now where, you know, certain things really have, have come back, right? Like, so we're, we're getting ready to start religious school again. And like, we're very excited and, and we'll, we'll have a big kind of outdoor picnic as part of it. And like, we're just, you know, there's lots of fun stuff going on and, and there's going to be people <laughs> in person for that. And we're like, really excited. Um, and obviously like that couldn't happen in the pandemic and then, and then, well, we're still in the pandemic. Um, so this is an interesting progression because, you know, certainly it, it, early on it couldn't, it couldn't happen. And then we had, when, once we started it, you know, this, all of this stuff going on, these extra details, right. Talking about the details, right. So it's being very careful about thinking about in some ways pods, um, keeping the kids by by at least grades, so something if it came out it wouldn't spread everywhere, and then having everyone wear masks, and it was just you know these different steps, um, and and it's just taking time. Some things like school have really come back, and, and other things, you know, we have parts of our population that you know they're not gonna they're not gonna chance it, right? They, they're they're uh, we have a, a more some season, more seasoned congregants and. Um, and that, you know, they may have some more underlying conditions and they're not going to chance it. So we we do have our services are all uh, available online at this point. And so 
they'll they'll catch it online. And we we have folks that regularly join online, um, and that's good for them. It makes them, you know, they're grateful for it. It helps them feel connected. But at the same time, we're not all back physically together, and I think that's that's challenging as well. Um, so it's, you know. These, again, these blessings and drawbacks, and we're still in this funny time. And you know, what what do things look like in kind of in the future is is still a question. And that makes me think of um, you were talking about sort of black and white thinking in certain um, schools of thought or in certain kind of circles. And for some people, doing services online, especially if you keep Shabbat, which means you shouldn't be, you know, if you're extremely observant, yeah. you should anything electronic. I can see how that would be uh, a, a big stumbling block for some people. And yet yeah. it also means that people are able to maintain not only a stronger connection to their communities in a time when a lot of people experience isolation, but also a connection to their spiritual life and their religious life. And so it's interesting to think about the debate between Hillel and Shammai, perhaps, about the merits of, of both opinions kind of yeah and it's and it's interesting so there's especially in the time um so my my own personal observance of shabbat like i don't use computers on shabbat what's that about like I, you know i don't i don't use electronics i'm like that's that's one of the best things for me about shabbat remember those things that i wasn't excited about like all the emails and stuff i can't do them on shabbat it's it's the you know it's what can i do you know you know, it's like, ah, oh, it's Shabbat. You know, so it's it's just interesting. Like, I, on the one hand, that to me in my life has been such a blessing to have a break from kind of electronics and the electronic world, right? The virtual world. And I've even heard pre-pandemic about, you know, taking these, these folks that have said it would be great if we could have like just one day off from, from all of the electronics and the emails. And it's like, we have that. It's called Shabbat. It's like we kind of started off with that concept. It's in the Decalogue. Yeah, it's a little thing. Um, but, you know, so so for me, that's I know that there are obviously many different ways, right, that the people in our in our modern society, depending on where you are in the tradition, observe Shabbat and things like that. Um, but for me, that was one of the parts of Shabbat that I most loved. So then during the pandemic, um, part of it, especially those early days, you know, there there is this kind of funny thing with uh well what what can we do, right? That the community the community is aching and it really was. I mean, people like needed needed that connection and and hearing that need and 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 part of it is weighing that, right? How do you hear two values, right? So this is a good thing, right? And in, in the, the larger conversation about here's this value of Shabbat and keeping it in a more traditional way, and here's this value of of the the community and what it needs. And and within Shabbat, there are things that are more weighty, more important, and there are things that are, you know, well, uh, this, you know, so to speak, what is what is kind of from the Torah and what is from the rabbis later on, um, and and so our community decided well that we that we were okay, you know, because we needed to doing services over Zoom, right, at, in, in those times, um, and and even still, part of it now is, you know, we had. Um, we had cameras installed in our sanctuary. And, and so now it's actually like a regular Shabbat morning. 
I don't have to do anything with technology then. I just do my thing. But there are cameras and there's, you know, it, it goes on at a certain point. I don't, you know, I, I get to not worry about that. Um, but but for folks that are at home and and can't come out, and we actually, it's been wonderful, even for folks outside of the pandemic, you know, we have folks that um, that are that are not able to travel really uh, to to come to synagogues, certainly not on a regular basis, and it makes it feasible for them to connect with with the service and their community. So, yeah, interesting shifts. Definitely. Now, in addition to um, so talking with someone about the passing of a loved one over a text or dealing with emails about setting up Zoom capabilities for your your services. Uh, I would imagine that there are a lot of things people aren't aware of that go on in the life of a rabbi, the professional life, I should say. What are some of the misconceptions that you find that people have about what it means to be a rabbi? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think, you know, my my guess would be possibly similar to how I was before I actually became a rabbi. I don't think necessarily folks think about um, the different emails and other things coming in. I think probably most folks had, like I thought, it's like, okay, there's, there's teaching and pastoral and, you know, right. I mean, and life cycles and right. So, you know, it, it is certainly true that, uh, on a daily basis, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm constantly going and, and checking in with congregants who are having different pastoral needs um, and and visiting folks in the hospital or even, you know, being with folks uh, before before they pass. And and, um, and and thankfully also being there to celebrate births and weddings. And, and those are parts that I would have said kind of like I, that I think most people kind of have in mind, like that's regular. And I think folks have in mind like, oh, and then the rabbi teaches, right? They do teachings and they help with services. Um, and, you know, so those parts are, are in many ways kind of more obvious, right? Like that's what I, that's more of what I thought, but, but the kind of the back end of, well, here we're going to have a, a, a picnic for the school. What are the details that need to go into that? Who needs to be there? Oh, and we're going to have music as part of that. And have we made sure that um, the band is playing and they're setting up their instruments Um do we have the electrical capacity in that socket? Are we going to blow out the system? And, and right, like, like there, there are these details that, that, you know, are part of it. Um, you know, in addition to, unfortunately in our time, you know, thinking about things like, okay, what are the different security concerns and how do we work with uh, local officials to make sure just that, that folks as much as possible, don't need to be thinking about that, right? That they can have the experience itself rather than thinking about all of these different other details that are in the background somewhere. And that's, and that's the goal. We don't, we don't want folks needing to think about, you know, front and center, um, how's the, you know, the electricity over in that grid or how, where, where's, how are you going to set up the parking or, you know, but, you know, those are those are all these different decisions that need to happen so that so that we can just come in and have the celebration. Right. Um, you know, even in terms of things like um, just the coordination in terms of certain life cycle events that happens or, you know, there's just 
different stuff on on the back end um, that you know, and that's the folk that's the part that that folks don't see. Or um, you know, part of it is thank God is you know we have a, a wonderful uh, large congregation and you know, but it also means you know many 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 people are kind of going and 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 being in touch and then people from outside being in touch and that's the so so some of it is kind of the 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 quantity and and what happens kind of so to speak in in clergy's life right how do they what's the balance between home and 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 community and and navigating that um and i think folks got to see it sometimes a little bit more actually during the pandemic as we all did literally being able to to peer into each other's homes and life you know um, so the, it wasn't just, I think it was like, there was famously on, on, uh, some news broadcast or some interview where, where a little kid like pops out, you know, like from behind and, and suddenly it like shifts greatly. And, you know, but that, that really, that interplay is, you know, that's part of it too, right. Is, is that balancing of, you know, the, the different needs and voices kind of, um, asking, you know, and, and all legitimate, you know, that, that for attention and how to navigate that even with your, your own kids and your own family and that balance is, is that's a part that, that I don't know that most people kind of see as much. It's making me think so growing up in our community, the, the person who eventually became a rabbi was a neighbor down the street who was a physicist who worked at Los Alamos National Laboratory, like very Los Alamos types (laughs) I babysat his kids. Uh, but so for me, it was, it's never been this like sort of remote figure who spends all day studying Torah. And, it, you know, I imagine probably puts his pants on helped by choirs of seraphim or something like yeah. it was always very real. <laughs> you know, a, yeah. you are a person, you are a normal person who has this this passion in this area of knowledge, but you are still a human. And I really love yeah. that the pandemic has allowed, hopefully, people to realize that more fully because, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know, especially working in like the mental health field, sometimes people have this impression that mental health practitioners are like less affected by issues that mm-hmm. people struggle with and that that's honestly just not true. And I feel like, um, you know, rather than feeling like you as a rabbi are handing down some pronouncement from on high from your perfect, completely fully realized, self-actualized life, it's good to know that you also have uh, struggles like the rest of us, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting kind of balance just in terms of like the, there's there's um, a kind of natural kind of chaos that happens, right? Very much like there's this, so there's an idea in Jewish tradition, right? There's obviously the tohu vavahu, right? There was chaos as part of the creation and and all this water, right? If you look at the beginning of, of, of the Torah, the beginning of the Bible, right? There's water like everywhere. And, and part of it is, oh my gosh, what to do with this water, you know? And, and so there's the separation of the waters then above and below, and then the separation of the waters below so that there could be land. 
Um, and sometimes in our tradition, it talks kind of about uh, about the seashore, right? The sand of the seashore kind of being this boundary marker, right? To, that, to keep away all of the chaos, right? And uh, sadly, part of what, what goes on with the Noah story, right? Noah and the flood, right? Is that it, it reverts back to the chaos, right? And so I, I feel like um, in our home, that's often a constant um, a struggle of like the chaos versus the order, right? That, you know, that ordering of, of creation um, happens all the time in our family room, living room, in all areas of the house where there are toys occasionally strewn everywhere. And then it's like trying to kind of bring back the order in the world. And yeah. <laughs> So I love it. You, so do you ever have any moments where you go into your living room and you put your like staff and your hand up like Moses yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. the sea of toys? Yeah, yeah. You you definitely want that staff, especially after you step on a few Lego pieces. Then you really realize like, oh, that would be great to have that ability. <laughs> so part the Legos, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be clutch. So what what would you say are the coolest parts of your job or what do you wish that people knew about your job that you get to do? So I I think there are there are moments and I felt um, as part of rabbinical school I was also uh, a chaplain at UCLA uh medical center and um and it was even then that I I kind of realized like as clergy sometimes we we are able to be with people in moments that are really unparalleled in, in terms of just, so to speak, regular day-to-day -day life. Um, and it's these moments that, boy, if, if we can be there for people in those times when it's so powerful, um, both both in, in, in terms of aspects of, of, of sickness and, and death, but also in terms of times like birth and, and celebration, um, they're really powerful and they should be, should be powerful, you know, but, but being with people to kind of, um, help support them, give them strength, celebrate with them. It, it is a, a wonderful blessing and an honor, uh, to, to be with them in those times. Um, that, and, um, and for me, the connection with, Torah is continuously like having moments where where people um, connect more deeply and 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 kind of understand that it's you know that it has connections for their life and like what it can mean for them is something that's very powerful to me as well. I think it's it's very easy. Uh, it could be very easy to to just read through it very quickly, right? Like so many of these different stories in the Bible, right? It's so easy to just read the words and instead of kind of slowing down and, and I would often talk with the students about, okay, imagine you're making a movie. What's the scene? Get into it. Think about like, what is the, what are the different feelings going on here? And it gets really complex. And especially, you know, uh, when you look at, so to speak, what goes on in our lives, and then you find these different connections and parallels um, with, with the text itself. Um, that can be really powerful to, to see folks find that meaning for their lives, how it connects to them and um, how it helps them connect to themselves, connect to others, connect to God. Um, that can be really powerful. Wow, that's really beautiful. 
Do you want to be featured on an episode of My Dilettante Life? Record yourself, starting with the phrase, when I grow up, I want to be a, and ending with your dream job. You might hear your own voice on a future episode. No age limits apply. It's clear that you have done a lot of thinking about this, um, that you are comfortable with kind of explaining your experiences, and I'm assuming like public-facing things don't phase you. Um, that being said, have there been role models who you've had throughout your time so far in the rabbinical world that you try to emulate or that you find particularly inspiring? Yeah, so it's it's um, a great question. You know, it's funny in terms of inspiring, right? Because I think, oh, inspiring. I think of like Martin Luther King Jr. and like, you know, just, but I, I I do. I mean, there are people that are able to tie text to the moment and make it come alive for people in a different way. Um, And that's really that's really inspiring to me. And then, you know, how to do that, how to how to get folks, first of all, you know, so there was someone actually who's um, she's she's in her her late 90s. And um, and she said, uh, boy, Rabbi, I've come to synagogue all these years, and I'm I'm finally like understanding what this means, like what the text means and its relevance for my life, and it's like opening this door, and and like that that moment is incredible. So if so, if there are folks that are able to tie these these ancient words, um, kind of into modern hearts, uh, then then that's really powerful to me. And so, right. So especially, obviously, someone like Martin Luther King Jr., right? Like as a rabbi, right? Not that he's my rabbi, right? There, there may be a few differences in, in theology, um, but but maybe not as much as we'd expect, you know, that, you know, I definitely think he, he was in many ways a prophet for our modern age. Um, and there are obviously rabbis, you know, certainly like Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, right? Like, um, there, there are definitely rabbis who are inspiring in, in different ways, um, in their passion and connection. Um, and then there are also rabbis who don't, in that sense, make a, as big a, sla- a splash in terms of speaking their speeches, but that have really inspired me in terms of uh, of their connection and the way they connect. You know, even, um, so certainly I mentioned my rabbi, Sarah Zachariah, um, her passion, her insight, her care, her, the love that she brings to it—that to me was was incredibly inspiring. Um, Rabbi Evan Leader uh, up in in Boston, who was also a, at that point a, a colleague of mine. Um, he was already a rabbi at that point, but he was another colleague at at uh, at the New Jewish High School in, in Waltham, now the Gan Academy. But the way he prayed in uh, his intensity. Um, that the music was kind of awe-inspiring. Um, there's just a, a way of um, getting into it. There's there's a one of the members of our congregation, um, the way that he prays, and again, it's 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 in Hebrew, um, and and I'm praying in Hebrew, but but the way the the way he puts his soul into the words, the way that it the way that it connects 
you know, I've literally thanked him occasionally when he when he comes up to pray for the community. That so so you know, there to me there there are many ways to get inspired in different areas, whether it's whether it's whether it's you know leading a movement for freedom or um, whether it's the the way that someone shares Torah, whether it's their kindness, whether it's the way that they pray. Like there are all of these ways that that inspire me and that. You know, that's like, wow, if I could, could could share a little bit of that blessing, that would be incredible. It also speaks to me of the, the fact that, again, there's not necessarily this hierarchy where you are handing down pronouncements from on high because you can be as inspired by sort of a fellow member of the congregation as perhaps you inspire other people in the congregation. It's not always you sort of as the pinnacle and then the members of the congregation are beneath you in some way. But I do oh, want to yeah. ask, <laughs> I do want to ask, um, do you see yourself as an expert? And and if so, what has helped you see yourself as such? I see myself as a learner. <laughs> right. And, and so that's, that's actually, a, that's, that's actually a, a thing that I think is really important in Judaism is, is kind of um, that I'm I'm always learning, right? So one I mentioned about Daf Yomi and the Talmud, and so I'm learning there. But but I'm, I learn in different areas so much. I'm always learning, you know, from learning from the prayer book, right? Oh my gosh, was that in there? I'm learning from the Torah. Sometimes I'm you know read this text. How many times have I read this? But I've never seen this before. And wow, that's kind of incredible in terms of the way that I conceptualize the world around me and think of things. And, um, and, and so in, in a certain sense, um, you know, the learning kind of increases um, because there are more things that connect and tie in. And, and so um, in Judaism, hopefully there's, there's always a sense that Torah is always being given, right? That's part of why the blessings in the Torah, right? They're in present tense. When when on when we take out the Torah and we learn Torah, that it's in present tense, that it's that it's kind of being given in that moment, um, that it's an ability to to open up our, our hearts and minds and receive. Um, and so, you know, there's this great idea in Judaism of like we're all. It's all about the you know, Torah and learning and, and growth. And, and so, so we're all kind of learning together. And I think that's part of the power of community um, and the power coming back to that idea of multiple perspectives is that if we're just kind of by ourselves that, that we can see a lot, but there's a lot of perspectives that we can't see. And that's really the power of, you know, in Judaism, there's idea of learning in Chavruta or learning with a partner, right? Um, but in a community, it's that much more powerful. It's like multiplied the, the number of voices and perspectives. And so, you know, um, in terms of my learning, you know, I've, I've really been blessed to have this time in my life and to carve out time um, each day to, to continue learning. And, um, and so in that sense, yeah, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with certain things than I used to be, right? Um, and you know, even even just coming up and and physically reading Torah, uh, the 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 prep time kind of for that, or 
Um, so so Talia is very kind, and she'll she'll actually give me uh, their hand signs uh, for the cancellation, right? So the ability to to come up and 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 as I'm reading the text, kind of see in my peripheral vision these these hand signs and and pull that together and read the so so I wasn't able to do that as a kid, you know. It's like so so in that sense, you know, there, I've gained in in skill in knowledge. I, I've seen. Um, seen things. It's like going on a tour in the world. You know, this is how uh, Reb Nachman of Bretzlau says, you know, look at as much in Judaism as possible. And then even if you don't fully grasp everything, at least you'll have seen it, you'll know the contours of the, of the land, you know? Um, and so I feel like, yeah, there are things that I, that I know, and there's always in Judaism, there's always so much more to learn, but, but sometimes, you know, in, in terms of uh, that journey, yeah. Okay. I, there's things that I know at this point, and there's a lot more to learn. So it's very exciting. Definitely. So what would you want to tell someone who is interested in going into this field now? Yeah, so it's another great question. Um, it's actually like, they're very welcome and there are jobs available. So please, you know, there, there really are, you know, I think... Um, Right now, there is a need for additional rabbis in the field, and and it it's important work, it's meaningful work that they're that that um, going and and helping people at these different times of life and helping community to connect. Right, we we have so much starting off in the beginning of the Torah that tells us it's not good for a person to be alone. And I think that's one of the things in our society that's a real challenge. And certainly the, the, the pandemic has only exacerbated this, right? About people kind of being sequestered um, and, and the challenge that that presents in terms of, in terms of mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, and, and part of this, role of rabbi is, is serving the community and helping to connect people again, both to their tradition and to God, but also to themselves and one another. Um, and that's really important. And there's, there really is a, a need in the field to have more rabbis. There are jobs available and, and it's really important in holy work. Um, and feel free to, to reach out and let me know if you're interested and, and we'll connect to you. Cause there's, there's, there are positions available and possibilities for different folks. And um, I'm glad to, to talk about it with people. So, Well, and as you said, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing journey. So whether someone is sort of at the beginning of their journey or a little bit further down the road, there's always new things to discover, new experiences, new insights to gain. So that sounds like it never has, well, maybe not never, but rarely is there a boring moment, I would imagine. No, no, it's pretty good pace. <laughs> so. Except maybe when you're answering a lot of emails, let's say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I want to know, so you, you did mention, obviously, at the beginning that you were a math teacher prior to entering this field. Have you ever thought about, since you've become a rabbi, what you would be doing if you weren't a rabbi? And would it be still in the math field? Or do you have some sort of pie-in-the-sky dream job that you've sort of always had in the back of your mind? Okay, so so it's I actually, um, so one, I still do like math, right? Like I... Um, I like math and I actually, and I like, and I love science as well. And there's such amazing stuff in terms of science, you know, I, just if, if we go back like a hundred years 
you know, we, we, we really understood like the whole universe was like our galaxy. We didn't have a concept of, Oh no, there are millions of other galaxies out there. Right. So there's like, it's amazing to me. And, and as a kid, right, we didn't know about planets outside of our solar system. And we, we certainly didn't have concepts of dark matter and dark energy. And actually, that, that's most of the matter and energy in our whole universe and all these planets and other things that we know. Right. That's only like five percent. Like so. So going and sharing about that stuff, like that would be fun. You know, um, it, it, that, that idea of teaching or I do get excited when. Sometimes the B'nai Mitzvah students um, bring in their math homework and we can do some of that too, you know, <laughs> like, great, you know. Um, yeah, I, I also um, would be interested if I had if I had kind of more separate time at some point. I really love uh, love Bible, um, Tanakh. And, and so going and sharing that and sharing it with um, with folks interestingly in our society who who are not necessarily Jewish, I think would be really exciting to me because um, the Bible in, in, a, in our society has been a, a kind of bedrock text. I think in some ways, depending on where you go, sometimes it's it's more of that and sometimes it's, it's less of that, depending where in the States and who you're talking with. Um, but it has been a core text, you know, uh, and not always uh, used for good, right? Both the South and the North quoted this text, right, to uh, to either support abolishing slavery or to unfortunately support slavery in this country. Um, but but they had a common language, and and that language is actually it's not in English, right? Like as, you know, the Hebrew scriptures are in Hebrew, um, and with a little Aramaic thrown in there for, for fun at various points. Um, but so, so sometimes I feel like going back to what, what do the texts mean? What do they sound like in the original can be very powerful actually. Um, and, you know, I had uh, at one point, uh, there was uh, someone who had served our country and fought for our country who wasn't Jewish, who, who called up the, the synagogue and they wanted to know they were upset. They said, Rabbi, it, it says thou shalt not kill. Um, and I have. And this person was really distraught by that, that they had in their mind violated uh, something that's, that's found in the Decalogue. And, um, and I said, but that's, it doesn't say thou shalt not kill. We don't want to have to kill. But it says the Hebrew is very clear that it says murder, and that's a different thing going on than what you did, right? Mur murder is done with intent and anger. You were serving your country, and that's that's a different word for that in Hebrew. And and I think it just kind of opened up for for this this person who had served our country, um, that and had had carried this this additional weight, right? It's enough. It's enough. For any of us, God forbid, if, if we serve our country and have to, to kill in service of our country to protect and defend our country. But they had this additional weight and this additional pain that they were carrying in some ways based on a mistranslation. Right. Um, and, and, and I think there are ways, you know, that when we look at what the Hebrew says, um, that it sounds very different. The feeling is very different of the text. 
Um, and so kind of sharing that with folks in our society who who are not Jewish, who maybe don't have access, but but care about the text or or, or are interested. Um, that's very different, right, than than what I'm doing necessarily now. But but it was something that, you know, so to speak, going out and, and being like an ambassador, if you will, uh, for for Torah and Tanakh uh, is something that that appeals to me. Um, and, and that I think. God, God willing, could be a help also in our society. Um, that that sometimes we get very fixed in in the way that we're seeing things, but sometimes that's that's based on a certain translation rather than well, what what did what did the text mean? What does it mean? And maybe it's not actually even in the original so clear, right? That sometimes the translation makes it very clear, but in a particular view and. And then you can have other great discussions. What is it? What is it really saying? What does that mean? Let's think about it together. So that definitely sounds like it's drawing together several of the concepts you've talked about, sort of being present with someone at a really pivotal moment in their life that most of us don't aren't really there for, don't sort of witness often. Also being able to bring in those really meaningful textual connections to help someone have a different relationship to themselves and their understanding of, of these concepts that are really important for people with sort of an active religious or spiritual practice. So um, I think you can, I don't know, I, I am not like the arbiter of, of who is amazing, but I think you've definitely given us a great example of how you yourself have done uh, one of those, you know, sort of crucial moments that you admire in other people where you were able to make a difference for someone with um, just a really simple clarification or insight about, you know, a particular interpretation of text. Thank you. Thank you. So my last question for you then is what do you want to be asked about your career as a rabbi or your life as a rabbi? Oh, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I guess, what does it mean to serve in this way? I, what does it mean to serve in this way? Because in Judaism, you don't have to serve God in this way as, as a rabbi, right? We can, we can serve, uh, you can serve God plenty well as a math teacher, right? Teaching kids uh, about math. Uh, or or science either either way um you know but um you can serve people people need uh need vacuums um they need you know there there there's that that chaos that we talked about and and cleaning up their house right that's important in terms of a sense of of peace and and stability and and um cleanliness and you know hygiene and right so vacuum cleaners right you can serve god in that way so in Judaism, there's there's really you can serve God uh, in so many different ways, right? Uh, and and the way in particular that we encounter uh, other human beings and the way that we treat them, right? That I and thou, that that understanding that every human being is made in an image of God, um, the way that we connect. So so part of it is why 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 to serve as a rabbi, right? Is, a, is kind of an interesting question when you can serve in all these different ways as well. Um, and I think for me, part of it is that um, Judaism, I mentioned these, these ancient words, these ancient traditions, these traditions of our people, 
um, that that I feel that um, I want to make sure that they continue into the future, right? That 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 kind of knowledge um, gets passed down the door vador, right, from generation to generation, and shared because I think it's it's easy in our society. Um, there are many, many wonderful different cultures and perspectives, and and um, and like I said, I, I value those different perspectives, right? I think in some ways we we miss out if we you know there if we lose that if we lose uh, the different teachings of our different heritages, the different wisdoms and the different traditions in the world. Um, and I want to make sure that the Jewish traditions get passed down so that they can continue to, to God willing, open, um, open us to one another and to the divine. Um, how do we connect? How do we make this world a better place? How do we do what, what Judaism calls tikkun olam or healing the world? I think that, that it, it could be easy to get so busy in society and with our lives, just the, the, the hustle and bustle of daily life that, that we kind of forget about kind of these ancient ways and, and forget about maybe some of the, the mandate in Judaism that, that we do need to go and, and make this world a better place and, and bring healing and, and help to, to fix things so that it's better for the next generation that we do have in Judaism. There's, there really is this directionality um, that we have that, you know, that, that messianic era that we want to, we want to work toward, right? When, when, when nation will not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. Um, when, when there's a time when, when we don't have one person rising up over and above another and trying to set themselves above others as happens again and again in our world, but where there is this kind of understanding that no, we're, we're all equal in the eyes of God. We're all children of God. And, and God is the higher power, but, but where we're as individuals not, and we're certainly not able to, to be higher over others, right? Um, so these, these ideas are important. And, and I think part of being a rabbi and doing this service is a commitment to make sure that those, those traditions and that wisdom uh, gets passed down, right? I, I feel like that those ideas that each of us are made in the image of God and and deserve to be treated as such and and if we understood that and created a world based on that value we would have a very different world right the way that we speak to each other to realize you know from our our perspective right here's that the way that God creates the world is through language language can be so powerful it can connect us and and lift us up or God forbid it could tear us down um the way that we speak to other and treat each other like that's so important for our society and our world right now and I don't want those teachings to disappear and so that's part of part of being a rabbi is certainly being there for people in times of need and and certainly going and, and trying to connect us as individuals but it's also to make sure that this tradition gets passed down because I think it's I think it's really needs it so I think it can, we can, you know, our Jewish tradition really can be a blessing for certainly for our people, but for the entire world as well. When you were talking about the the length of time that um, people were working on what would eventually become the Talmud, it made me think of like the world's longest, largest group project <laughs> and how <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> people in school are like, oh, a group project, I hate it because then like, 
we're all going to get the same grade, but I may have done so much more work than this other person. But at the same time, like the power of groups and of people working together can really amplify, um, you know, more than what sort of the, the collective sum of the parts would be. And I really love this idea that you are just continuing this work um, that was started, you know, centuries ago, ago, and rather than complaining that someone else is, you know, slacking on their part or that you don't want to work with so-and-so because it's just frustrating to work in that group project and can't you work with another, you know, another team or can't you do it on your own, um, that you recognize the, the potential power that we have to work collectively toward a better world. Yeah. Amen. And the more people we can get to join in the venture, you know, the better. There's something in Cincinnati called Festival of Faiths. Um, and and this idea of look at all these beautiful faiths, beautiful traditions, you know, so if we all come together, we really can make a beautiful world together. And it's, it's just kind of remembering that. And I think, you know, uh, in contrast to that, if we get so tied in with with our view or our way or, you know, it's then, then we can miss out on look at the beauty that we can be creative when we come from these different perspectives, uh, yet yet have a sense of, of shared goal or purpose. Um, and when we open our hearts and connect with one another, you know, the world can be a, a much different place. And, and, you know, that's the goal is to bring everyone together, all of these multiple perspectives and, and join in this and, together. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been a delightful and insightful conversation as I knew it would be. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. When I grow up, I want to be exactly what I am now. I'll be better. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yuli Anerson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. Thanks to our guests, and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you have follow-up questions for a guest, send them in for a chance to be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment. My Dilettante Life is available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as directly at hannabinder.com slash mydilettantelife. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my dash dilettante dash life. Tschüss!